life, the universe, and everything in between. Graham Hill's Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Weekend Variety Wireless Sunday edition. It's a podcast as well. Special hello if you're listening on the podcast. Later tonight, a dirty little secret from small-town America. It's part of the New Zealand International Film Festival. Festival. I had a cousin that was a miner. He lived up in Old Bisbee, and he was rounded up with the rest of the miners. They figured that it was one of these deals where the mining company was just trying to flex their muscles and intimidate them. When they brought in the rail cars, they realized how serious it was. When they were disconnecting the train, the deputized foreman were telling the miners, if we ever see you in Bisbee again, we will kill you. Cousin said he reached through the rail car and grabbed one of the deputies that he knows and held him, told him, no, Bisbee is my town. I am going to come back to Bisbee I am going to kill your family in front of you, and then I'm going to kill you. The full I story. believe he meant it. Oh, yeah, sorry. Didn't mean to cut you off, Mr. from Bisbee. Uh, coming up later on this evening, Skeptical Thoughts with Susie Wiles. And if we can, we'll throw in a game of truth or cup sequences. It's a World Cup final tonight. Dobra Deutschli to you Croats out there. Next up, though, Paul Cassily with Media Stick. Tuned in. Tuned in. Tuned in. To Graham Hill's Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. I have a lot of fight left in me. I'm not breaking down. The New Zealand Herald published a smear by TV blogger Paul Casserly. The blogger is obviously emotionally disturbed. We will never feel safe again. Hello, Paul. Evening, Graham. I feel I'm, I'm a little bit... Uh, short on material myself today, so um, yeah, relying on you. you blogger mean, for the Herald. Blogger, obviously I've never insane. been a blogger, by the way. The well, rest of it is true, what he says, but I've never been a blogger. No. Well, it's not the first time he's got something wrong. Tight comes in, <laughs> tight goes out. You can't explain that. That was just amazing. Uh, yeah. We're he, talk- he's kind of Bill been, O'Reilly we're talking about from X of Fox. He's kind of been out crazied now by the president. Who just takes? Yeah, the, it's t- taking every cake, not just the cake. I think Hannity as well. Um, Hannity yeah. stepped up to the mark Hannity with levels of madness. He's definitely stepped up to the yeah. mark. Yeah, being quite of late, Hannity. He has a bit, hasn't yeah. he? Since his lawyer was found to be the same lawyer that was helping yeah, Trump. That's right. Yeah. All right. Uh, oh, uh, one of the most interesting paragraphs in journalism I think I've ever heard uh, today. Uh, this week, I read in the Independent. You know, El Shabab of uh, Somalia, the ISIS oh, yes. Somalia, yeah. the ISIS Somalian wing of ISIS, mm-hmm. uh, made headlines this week with an announcement that the terrorist organisation has banned single-use plastic bags in area of the country under its control. <laughs> oh, it's got to be a joke. No, it's not. Oh, bless. Apparently it's, it's true, along with a few other things. Uh, they do have some other r- rules and regulations that they <laughs> administer at the end of a gun. But one of them now is single-use plastic bag. Okay. Not good. Maybe they, maybe I like them after all. Maybe yeah. they are good people. They probably vote Greens, wouldn't they? Julian so, Genta. There's been some talk this week of the, uh, the, the latest front line is actually the balloon, the party balloon. Have you oh. heard this? No. Have you, oh, sound, this sounds like Hosking. Have you heard this one? 
there's been some talk because the party balloon, when you think of it, is basically a piece, a single-use plastic that basically gets blown up and popped, and then it's all just in the in the wilderness. Oh yeah, true. So it actually, kind of makes sense, but it but it does at the same time feel terribly party pooperish. Exactly, party. You can't be more party pooperish than. Banning the party Take balloon. down those balloons. Will somebody think of the sedations? Oh, look, in three years' time, they'll be seen as it'll be yeah. like smoking. Yeah. Blowing up a balloon. Probably will be. Imagine if you're like a balloon bender, a party balloon guy. Oh, oh they God. always worry me, those you'd have people. Would you always be looking over your shoulder? It's the noise it makes. It just, it's, it's a bit like, you know, a, a, a scary clown, uh, the balloon benders. Uh, okay, first up, you've gathered some interesting. Uh, discussions uh, with Alan Duff, Ella Henry, oh, yeah. and Paul Henry. Yeah, so this was a this was um, one of the best things that was on TV last week. This is last weekend's Mud Eye, which screens on TV and Z TV One on a Sunday morning, mm-hmm. um, and it's just a it's a sort of program like you know when you go to Australia to the ABC, you're like, why don't we have a public service broadcast in New Zealand? We do have these programs, but they're spread out all over the shop. This would have been great on primetime in New Zealand. It was a great piece of current affairs. It was a great interview with uh, a feature on Alan Duff, creator of Once Were Warriors. It was reported by Hikarangi Jackson, the mm. uh, the son of Willie and oh, yeah. uh, the other one, Moana, mm-hmm. and uh, great young journalist. But it, but then it came into they had a studio uh, debate at, um, hosted by Jenny May Coffin, and. Nick, I don't know, has she changed her name now? She I don't has. know. Yeah. Anyway, but she was great too. But Former netballer. And, and they had Ella Henry the from AUT on there. They had Toe Henare. They had, uh, and it was just a really good, robust debate. Alan Duff, of course, outspoken, seen by a lot of Māori as like a redneck Pākehā, basically. He's, he, he has his columns in the Herald that are kind of Bob Jones-esque, he, if, you, if you like. Oh, uh, right. He's, he's not towing the he ascribed group line. No, he's not. He's and he's anti-academic. He's kind of he's a grump. He's kind of quite grumpy and and uh, you know is prone to outbursts. Recently, he he cornered on a, a spin-off journalist at a Labour Party uh, meeting on, in Northcote, and basically threatened this this kid who was there with a camera and a list of questions. Uh-huh. Basically. On camera, threatened, said, I, I, know, I should put you up against the wall and beat the shit out of you, basically. Oh, really? <laughs> Words to that effect. Because they, they were asking questions that he thought were stupid. And uh, right. anyway, he's an interesting well, character. So you don't know what to believe anymore, do you? No, no, this, well, you see, you see this on tape. So he, oh, good. He, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so he, he definitely did it. Right. But, you know, and it was quite threatening, actually. I was, I was like, oh, yeah, just harden up. And I saw it and I thought, oh, yeah, I'd probably be a bit scared, actually. Oh, crikey. Anyway. This story, so it's a feature on Alan Duff, talks a lot about his books and schools thing, which is he does an amazing amount of work putting books in, in front of kids. Yep. And basically... That's such a noble thing for yeah, him to have absolutely. started up. That's that's a saving grace, really, you, you've got to say, because he's, he's a cantankerous old bugger. And... This was a great feature, and it got him to talk a bit about how his bad, how bad his childhood was, and then he has a bit of academic bashing. But then, what I like about it in this piece, you're going to hear Ella Henry, who is a great uh, multi academic, works at AUT. Mm. Uh, we used to be the star of Ask the Aunties on on Murray TV, great mm. TV show, good straight talker. Anyway, so there's a lot of straight talking going on here, starting with Alan Duff himself. I I, I saw things, and we experienced things that. Uh that no child should. Uh, I think it broke broke uh, most of my siblings. Maybe it killed one of them. I think everybody, anyone who knows me, they knew what was going on in our house. So uh, 
Yeah, I think it was shit. When Wantu Warriors came out, it was very popular. A lot of Māori loved it, a lot of Pākehā loved it, but the Māori academics would actually argue that it caused more harm than good, that it actually reinforced a lot of negative stereotypes about Māori. I'm, I'm not a fan of the, the Māori academics. I think they're, they're just as cowardly as, as, the, as their Pākehā colleagues. Kia I'll come straight to you. He's obviously made a big deal out of Ukari Itarata Kinga Kai Rangahau to um, researchers and academics. Uh, um, obviously, that's. Yeah, that's well, I mean, I, I don't see myself as, you know, representing some kind of apologia for every Māori who's got a degree. Um, and I also want to add that it's been a privilege for me for most of the last 30 years to do one of the key things that academics do, which is teach, because I've taught predominantly Māori and I've been able to be part of... Uh, literally thousands of Māori's journey through mm. university. So that's, you know, nobody can... I, I, I'm not going to worry about his critique of Māori academics like there's some kind of stereotype of us, yep. just like there's some kind of stereotype of Māori men, they're all brutes and Māori academics are all wankers, you know. But I do think he's got a point that, um, that you know, he's copped a lot of criticism over the years for telling his truth. And um, and I'm not one of the people that criticised that that film or that book. I thought it was an important milestone in Māori history. Once More Warriors is not a masterpiece. It's a sad story about gang violence and 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 that. You know. You know what's a masterpiece is the the Chronicles of Narnia. That's a masterpiece. What? <laughs> so that's that, that's Tohan Hinare coming. He only reads nice stories. <laughs> Yeah. Things that are kind of nice. Because you're waiting for that, you're thinking, with what's a magic a lion. I was thinking maybe he's going to drop Citizen Kane oh, or the something. Bone People or something. No, the Chronicles of Narnia. Chronicles of Narnia. He's he's an inter I, I love Tohinoda. He, he he just speaks first, and and, and then thinks about. I don't what even he said think he asked for any apologies afterwards. Anyway, no. uh, the, the, this even got more interesting towards the end here with with Toe, uh Getting getting stuck in when basically the rest of the panel was saying you know uh, regardless of all this once we're warriors is you know it's a masterpiece and you've got to you, you don't have respect to, that. don't have to like it you don't yeah. think but oh this is stereotype if you do anything you're going to yeah. stereotype someone somehow aren't you that's right but yeah. anyway it's a story about something in the real world this was this was you don't like it yeah, bad luck this was Ty going full noise oh cool. You know, there's give no doubt. Jew. And yeah. He, yeah, absolutely. Give him his due. But, you know, get over the fact that he, he continually um, bags Māori. So how, 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 how relevant... He's the only nigga that does that. No, no, he just doesn't know any better. Yeah. No, he needs Dayman Salmon. I'll just, I'll just bring it out. around the ears. Oh, he's gone gangster. <laughs> he, needs, he, he needs a clip around the ear. What a lovely ending. Old-fashioned, yeah. a good old school, like yeah, an old, yeah, yeah, yeah. like a small-town cop, firm but fair, Graham. Yeah, and what you said at the beginning, I totally concur with. Wouldn't it be nice if we had a public broadcaster? Um, I don't care what size it is, one we can afford. I mean, TVNZ's it's flat as hell. TV3's, you know, it's a big broadcaster. Yeah. Um, but well, TV3 is a private company. Though. Private company. Yeah. Well, TVNZ yeah. kind of is as well. It's, I know, but that needs to state owned. Yeah, but they need to change that. It, surely. Anyway, we could just have a public broadcaster, but I don't mind if it's on from six o'clock till nine every yeah. night or something, or just provide something. I think it'd be a good idea. But anyway, this is a great show, and it's but it's on a it is on a Sunday morning, and so a lot of people aren't going to see no. it because of that. Uh, they're moving Q and A into prime time, which is a, which is a good move. They just need to do more of that and and find yeah. a way to do it because there's a thing about I, I know, you know these things live online and stuff and people share it on Facebook and stuff but the, you can't beat that thing of having it on a TV box that that, that 
beams out around the country. Yeah. And I know no one under the age of 30 watches television, but, you know, most of the There is something about that commonality of experience. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's, it's still got... It's a uh, no-brainer. There's a lot of anyway, latent heat left it's a good in show. it. Don't ignore it. It's a good show, but that was just a great piece of a great piece of live debate, you know, and just with energy and just, you know, I just... I'm so like, glad you said debate. Nice. Yeah. Instead of... Because everyone's saying conversation these days. It's conversation. It's a conversation about this. I caught Ella Henry this week uh, with a double conversation. Uh, for the first time, I find I'm having conversations with Māori men about sexual abuse that I might not have had without this conversation. The conversations, really? Yeah, but uh, you, you're, you're getting hung up on the words there. The issue she's talking about is That's probably right. quite important, Graeme. I think the word is important as well because conversation has taken That's over the discussion. More than the conversation, debate. When it is overused to the extent <laughs> where I can spot it as it's a mechanism uh, to downplay something, to give the impression that we're all actually really, all opinions are valid and we're all getting on and there's no need to worry, it's just a conversation. And this week, when I heard that, I realised who I'm missing a lot, who'd never say the word conversation in that way or overuse it, Christopher Hitchens. Um, the late Christopher Hitchens. Here's 30 seconds of him having what you could never say is a conversation. Well, I, I want to make it clear in our closing moments here, Christopher, I don't consider you an enemy. I don't consider you... Uh, but I'm very sorry to hear that. Well, I know, because you want me to be your enemy. You're well, you no, you consider you are my enemy. Well, but you're not my enemy. Uh, I, 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 How are you going to figure that? No, because I don't feel a need to have to silence Christopher Hitchens. Well, it, you don't have a chance of doing that. I don't mean that at all, but I mean your, your, your preachments are evil and they're a direct threat to the survival of civilization. So you, if you don't consider me an enemy, you don't know an enemy when you see or hear one. That's a conversation. It is a conversation. But, you know, yeah. the, uh, the, the comparison between Ella Henry and Chris Virchins, I, I kind of fail to see. Oh, I'm just using the, just the word conversation. Yeah. How it's you're, you're, hung up on, you're hung up on the word, aren't you? I just. I know you had your war against going forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you lost that, didn't you? Let's be honest. No, we won. <laughs> no, it's, it's gone. It's gone. It hasn't gone. It has. It's seeped into the firmament now. No, I, don't, I haven't heard it as, as much. You don't notice it now. That's the thing. This is part of life. Oh, no, don't you worry. You watch. Going I, forward, I, I, you'll I see would, a lot of it. I would notice it. Um, no, it wasn't a, uh, a comparison between Ella Henry and Christopher Hitchens. It's just that way that it's, it's as I yeah. said, well, she's been used to she delude. She is an academic. Yeah. To, right. She should know better. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Noted. Oh, did um, did you see Lloyd Burr get watered in the face? No, this but week? I, I heard about this. I thought quite a, quite a brave. Was it a good one? Carry on. It was great. Smash in the front of the face. Well, it, it wasn't. They didn't throw the glass at him, did they? No, no. It was just the contents. But he's eyeballing the camera across on the AM show. I yep. think here's how it went down. Paint pa me a picture of what's going on. Now, the water throwing happened during that. 
Could you tell? No. Well, there's a few bits where there seemed a little, there's a pause in a couple of bits. but Very small pause. So he just, he soldiered on. He soldiered on, oh, like, nice. almost like it didn't happen. So a bit of a hats off to that for a live cross. Crowded bar with the English fans no, yeah, knowing yeah. that they've lost. And then, the, yeah, and, oh, then, and yeah. then he comes up with a fat finger going, yeah, something or other, and I don't know what the rest of it is. But um, Duncan Garner uh, then steps in and orders, I don't know, the CIA, Mossad, <laughs> or someone, someone with the capabilities to do something about it. And I don't know who we might be thinking of. Okay, we, we, we're going to get out of here. Can someone get around Lloyd as well? Because there's someone in England who can get around Lloyd and look after him. What a bunch of thugs. That's all I say. What, what, what a complete thug that guy is. <laughs> uh, oh, well. Thug. That's racist. Live television. That's when it's at its, at its best, though, isn't it? With a glass that's, of that's something in the face. Did you watch that too. game? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and just a reminder, we've got you and McCabe coming up later to talk about the World Cup. God, he's got some great stories. And another copy of his book, World Cup Baby, to give away. Oh, one more thing. And before we take a break, we'll be coming back with part two of Mediastic uh, shortly. Um, you went to Wellington. Did you see yeah, the whale? I went to Wellington last weekend. Did not see the whale. We went looking for the whale. The weather was hor- horrific, but it would slash wonderful. You know, raincoats on out in the elements, nearly being blown over. I, I kind of love that when I go to Wellington. I mean, yeah. I love the other. You know, the you can't beat Wellington on a beautiful day. Day, yeah, yeah. but we had one. We didn't have those, and we went looking for the whale. Didn't see the whale. Unfortunately, the whale is the talk of Wellington. Though everyone down there was talking. It's just. It, Spectacular thing. You can poo-poo a whale That's right. all you like until you come up face-to-face with one of these things and its big tail and you go, oh, my freaking God, it really is amazing. Yeah, and it, it was the talk of every party we went to, which was only one. But anyway, um, but anyway, I was thinking there, there's some great content, which I remember seeing a Country Calendar episode about whaling when it still existed in the 60s, I think in the Marable Sounds, but it was it was happening out of Wellington as well. And you can find this... this piece of audio you can find the whole thing on the Natonga website if you just type in whalers whale hunters and this is this was from a radio NZ thing back in the day a spectrum program called the last of the whale hunters and this is just one of the last of the whale hunters it's um I think it's Charlie Hebley is his name no it's his son Joe Joe Hebley and he was he's just here reminiscing about the fun times back before 1960 when they would jump on there, you know, go out for three months of a year, which was the whaling season, and just his description of what that was like. It wasn't a job. It was more like a a traditional sport, you know. Um, It was in their family, and um, it was three months of the year that everyone looked forward to, you know. But it was was dangerous, and you're always wet and cold, and... the moment a whale was spotted, I, I, you know, I failed to see any of the whalers. The old ones were not. Your blood automatically started to boil. You know, the, you'd grab your lunchtime and tear down to the lookout and get onto the whale chasing you. You're all hyped up, and it was probably like all bats going onto a rugby field, you know, on a test match or something like that. And and it went from there. But it, it, there was a lot of danger involved, but we coped with it. It was just. It was a thing that had to be done, and we done it. 220 whales harpooned in the Cook Strait in 1960. Seems <laughs> not long ago. It doesn't seem that long ago. Yeah. But it trailed off really quickly after that. The Russians came in with their factory ships, and I think whaling was gone by the end of the 60s. Yeah. 
but 67 or something was yeah. it? Oh, look, I'm out of line here because I can't remember. Yeah. Don't know. Um, but it's surprisingly not that long ago. But um, is it bad? Is it always bad to kill a whale? Any oh. whale? Well, you know, it's hard to. What are the ethics of this thing? I mean, I don't want to go and kill one. I, I don't really think killing things in the wild is uh, is that great. But the whaliness of a whale is. I mean, what if it's just as only as smart as a sheep? Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't really. I mean, you know, we we attribute mm. things to animals because we like them. It's a popularity contest to some extent, I guess. If things are if things are on the verge of extinction, we think it's not a good idea to kill Hell, them, yeah. regardless yeah. of what they are. Yeah. But if you're in if you're in Norway or Finland or Iceland and you are killing you're you know killing whales that aren't endangered, and this is something you've done all your all your lives, it's, yeah. that's a different kettle of fish, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll Have you a... ever eaten whale? No, I haven't. I tried it once in Iceland. Did you? It was delicious, but, I, you know. Tastes a lot like dolphin, I understand. I've never tried dolphin. Oh. We'll take a short break and we'll return very shortly more with Media Stick, Paul Kessley. The Weekend Variety Wireless. Dobradorshly, everybody. Uh, good luck with the Croats overnight. I'm not forget, forgetting about your French people as well. World Cup final, Paul. When? Tomorrow morning? Yeah, tomorrow morning. Oh, at yeah. some stage. Uh, Obviously, you'll be backing the Croatians. Is that fair to say? Mm, no. Well, yeah. Yeah, I would. Just because it would yeah. be something new, wouldn't it? It would be something new. We, our, our family had quite close Croatian connections as well, but... Um, not so much with the country. Yep. Maybe a little, little bit with the language. We always called onions carpula. When I went to school, it was like carpula, and they, nobody understood what I mean. I felt like a foreigner in my own land. As a... <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, just on the World Cup. There's a piece of Shakespeare, basically. The commentator, what's his name? John Drury. Or Peter Drury, um, this is at the end of the, the match, England against Croatia. And, oh, my word, I, I'd like your opinion, actually, and you this at home. This isn't when the young English kid was... There was a boy who was crying. No. There was a great moment when one of the commentators... He, he says he was talking about the, uh, when Croatia won and then it, he cut the, the pictures cut to an English... Like about a twelve-year-old in tears, a boy. Right. And he was, he was, he, and the commentator says something. There's a boy in tears. Get used to it, Sonny. Oh, <laughs> lovely! How English is that? Did he have a shirt saying "F you, Lloyd Burr"? <laughs> I'm coming for you. Um, no, I just wonder if this was pre-organized, written and scripted, ready for such a moment or not. If this is off the top of the head. Oh, it, it's spontaneous Shakespeare. And for England, it's another oh so near. England's three brave lions slink sadly away as Croatia reach out for their paradise. 20 years since their trailblazing generation went almost all the way on World Cup debut. This sharp-edged 21st-century collection of artists and labourers, ball winners and ball users, and in keeping with half a century of hurtful history, England are once more denied their utopian moment. For the English. 
British Football Nation, it has been a thrilling tease. Against its weary instincts, it was gloriously tempted to believe again. Only once more for that old familiar emptiness to return. And Bobby and Nobby and Banksy and Bawley and co remain for now still the only ones. England will play in Saturday's consolation, but we have our final. Moscow, four days from now. Croatia against France for the right to be champions of the world. Wow. It's quite pretty, isn't, isn't that it? Good? Isn't that great? Yes. Isn't that great? It's act, my God. Three, that's... scene one. <laughs> Uh, Henry V, whose limbs were made in England once more into the breach. It's very much that. That certainly beats Redham and Weepu or Lomu. Oh, 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 <laughs> oh, doesn't it? It's a cut yeah. above, slightly above that level. You, you reckon written down or <laughs> I think, spontaneous? I think, I think he's planned that one out. I think he's planned it in advance. Beautiful though, eh? Yeah, yeah. So that reference to the World Cup one is um, Bobsy and... That, That's that, 1966. Yeah, so that, the, the nicknames of the players then? Yeah. Is it? Wow, that, very... You, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Hurst and he yeah. had the alliteration yeah. there. Uh, you can see why he got that job. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, now, your friend Frankie Boyle. Oh, yeah. He's a regular on your show. Yes, yes. Well, because I've been watching his, his shows are available on YouTube, everybody, and I implore you to watch them. Um, it's the, oh, God, I keep forgetting the name of it. It's New World Order. Frankie Boyle's New World Order. I think it's up to about six or seven episodes. They're only about half an hour. It's Frankie Boyle, who's the most straight-talking, if you're going to be on that theme tonight. Mm -hmm. uh, Glaswegian comedian. He's he's actually did a lovely show, which is also available on YouTube, where he went to Russia um, at the beginning of this year as a preamble to the World Cup, the Football World Cup, because he's a big football fan. Mm. Um, what I didn't realise is he's afraid of flying, so he had to catch the train there. He's afraid of flying. Yeah, so he caught the train all the way to the middle of Russia, and there's these two Russians guy there at one stage with the translators, and they're saying, oh, so did you fly into this airport or that airport? And then you see the translator go, no, he, he's afraid of flights. He, he came by train, and the, you see the look on the Russian guy's face like, what is wrong with this guy? Really? Because it's so far. Look, it takes some days to get across. Oh, right. Yeah, the Vikings went by sea. That's right. Oh, so it's a lovely series anyway. Oh, nice one. But if I just wondered, while we were on the Afraid of Flying thing, does the program Air Crash Investigation, which is immaculately put together and compelling viewing, and the recreations of planes mm -hmm. falling apart Love in it. the sky, um, are very realistic, I'm assuming. Uh, would people who are afraid of flying, would they... Would they mind watching that? Because they know they're never going to get in on a plane, so why wouldn't you watch it? I've got a good friend who uh, is afraid of flying, and she loves that show. Right. Thought that might be the case. It's like confirmation, yeah. isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's interesting. Unfortunately. Wonder, yeah. yeah, it's perverse. It's, well, anorexics like t food shows. But anyway, uh, th this is a, a particularly caustic and very, very Frankie Boyle moment. He's, he's renowned for pushing things to the edge, and this is, a, this is him going over the edge, and, but then bringing it back beautifully. In America, we had this disgusting situation where children were separated from their parents on the US border. I mean, it's horrendous. They've been put in cages, sometimes 20 children to a cage, and they're sleeping under tinfoil blankets. Basically, it's a giant scratch card for paedophiles. <laughs> Honduran baby. <laughs> it's a disgusting joke, right? but it's a disgusting situation. 
What am I supposed to do? Pun about it? What do we do? I mean, I think our best hope is that Trump dies in office. I actually think that there's a hope of that happening. He's got so much compacted meat in his colon that when he takes a shit, it's technically an abortion. No! Well, that's what Glaswegian uh, humour's about. I love that. I, but I, I love that that uh, that that you know his kind of uh, his escape route from that appalling joke, which was, "What am I going to do? Pun about it?" Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah, exactly. It's like when rock star Alan Vega uh, put on some weight. Singer was suicide. They were a very hard out band, and one of the fans yelled at him at a comeback show. Alan Vega, you're fat. And he's got the microphone. He says, "What do you want me to do? Jog." <laughs> okay, more Frankie Boyle. This is yeah, good. Yeah, this is just him continuing on at the end of the show, and just some lovely, just a weird mashup of absurdism and satire and poetry. Just lovely. But before I go, I'd like to leave you with this thought. When the U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger, a man who oversaw the catastrophic firebombing of Indochina was awarded the 1973 Nobel Peace Prize, it was said that satire had been rendered obsolete. When later this year, Donald Trump is awarded the Nobel Peace Prize, satire will be gloriously reborn and immediately shot in the back of the head. <laughs> However, against all odds, satire will survive. Kept alive by tubes and machines that beep, it will stare blankly from its one remaining eye at the television in the corner of the ward, where on every channel, Donald Trump will be delivering his Nobel Peace Prize acceptance speech. He will use it to declare war on someone. <laughs> a single tear will fall from the eye of satire and trickle down its stupid face to be wiped away by the nurse, who slowly unbuttons her crisp uniform to reveal a bright orange bra and proceeds to give satire a handjob. <laughs> I must stress this handjob is not a metaphor for anything. It's just a handjob from a nurse in a fantasy that I've made up. <laughs> however, represents hope. The nurse, who is just a nurse, removes the orange bra of hope, rolls it into a ball and stuffs it into satire's mouth. A mouth which represents, of course, the possibility of seeing something witty and amusing about Trump winning the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> Behind the nurse, the door of the ward opens and a richly symbolic figure steps inside. It is I, with my nostrils flaring, fully naked, apart from a railwoman's hat and boots. <laughs> the open jar of Sainsbury's goose fat that I'm holding represents the rise in use of social media since 2005. <laughs> and each of my buttocks represents the other buttock. <laughs> Delightful, isn't it? Uh, surrealist. Yes, surrealist. That's the word I was looking yeah, for. Yeah, really good. Nice mentioning Kissinger there. Good God. Uh, so he, he won the Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah. yeah. For doing one thing while everyone was conveniently ignoring another. What was the thing he won it for? Was it... Well, it's, it's Middle East, wasn't oh, it? Oh, was uh, it the attempted um, peace process? Yeah. Right. And then uh, there was the carpet bombing of Cambodia yep. to, with whom they had not declared war. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, oops, sorry. Bit of a spill over there. Really sorry, folks. And it was all. Oh, I've got to mention, uh, speaking of uh, satire and comedy and people pushing things over the edge, um, Sasha Baron Cohen's new show begins oh. on Monday night on Soho. Did you know how they promote it on Soho? We'd like to tell you about a new comedy that's coming, but we can't. Good 
The creators won't let us show you a scene. The lawyers won't let us tell you the name of the star. And we can't even reveal the show's title or we'd be breaking our non-disclosure agreement. So how do we promote perhaps the most dangerous show in the history of television when we're not allowed to show it? Something huge is coming. July 16, Soho. I thought, oh, bloody hell, it, I'm going to be watching and B, it better be good. It's called What is America? Yeah. And, and apparently he's managed to, you know, his, his old trick of dressing up as someone else. Yeah. And one of these, you know, obviously people were familiar with uh, all his different characters, but he's got a new one. He plays a Finnish TV uh, interviewer and he's managed to get people like Sarah Palin and uh, Dick Cheney and, yeah. and, a, and a few others, Roy Moore. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, oh, it's going to be gorgeous. Yeah. But there's, isn't that there a little alarm bell in, in the back yeah. of your head? You're thinking, how do these people not pick up no. that it's Sasha Baron Cohen? Are they really in such a never, ever heard of the guy? Their press people haven't heard of the guy, can't spot him. It's not that he has a card. Mm. I'm Sasha Baron Cohen. You know, they do a, a good setup, But, I mean, we can... Spotter's face, can't we? Or did, and if yeah, you know these things, a bit of makeup, the right scenario. I mean, it's all about how 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 you set these things up. And there's obviously that's an art form that obviously that the, they've really perfected. So if yeah. they targeted, yeah. perhaps you were right. You'd, I don't know. Well, they wouldn't, Graham. No, I, but no. if they did, I mean, are we we just know who would we get conned easily? I mean, I I fell for Forgotten Silver. Don't forget. Oh, remember that? Yeah. 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 Okay. I'm gullible as all hell. I just want to rewind back to um, Kissinger because I saw a bit of him on a Sky History Channel thing um, and it's called The 60s. Yep. And it goes year by year. And I thought, oh no, not another one of these. It's things. on Prime at the moment. Is it? Yep. How many of them have there been? Far too many. But I was really surprised. It was it's good stuff, eh? Pretty damn good. And there was something that happened, and I thought, this could never, ever happen again. Um, a massive crowd <clears throat> all yelling, we want Dick, we want Dick, we want Dick. People would laugh at them today, wouldn't they? I'm fine! Oh, sorry. Here we go. It looks like Nixon, nobody is really surprised, and no committed uh, Republican feels cheated. How the language has changed. I don't think people would all yell together, we want dick now, would they? No. No. Possibly not. Right. It's like with that bloke who took his young three-year-old daughter to the movies, and it can be difficult, it was a kiddies movie, kiddie right up the front, um, saying, what... I want my popcorn, I want popcorn. No, we're in the movie, we can't do it, we have to sit down and watch. I, I want some, but I want some. And the kid stands up, I want cock porn. I want cock porn. <laughs> For real? Apparently so. I can't remember from which avenue that uh, news came at me, but I remember it happened. Wasn't it a Christmas cracker, was it? Probably. <laughs> Could be. Could be. Okay. Now, uh, Jimmy Kimmel. Oh, yeah, just more Trump, but a, a lovely story. And this is Trump at one of his um, election rallies, which he has 
during his term, which is, seems in a, that's that's got to be a first. I don't remember that happening with other presidents. But anyway, no, he is at, quite special in this way. <laughs> at his recent election rally, he has decided to turn on Jimmy Kimmel. I guess he represents the liberal media. Yeah. Anyway, this is this is him getting stuck into Jimmy Kimmel. A, a story that Jimmy Kimmel was the story was Jimmy Kimmel was actually on holiday and he, he he didn't have a phone with him and he and he got one message from his wife via a text through a satellite phone that says, Oh Trump's having a go at you and that's what he got and he had to wait like a week before he got back to find out what it was. Jimmy Kimmel would meet me before the election. I'm telling you a true story. I don't even think you'd deny it. No talent. But I'd go to a studio to do a shot, you know, to do a thing. He would stand outside on the sidewalk waiting for me. Oh, here he comes, Donald Trump. Oh, uh, he opens my door. I said, does he do this to everybody, to his people? He does it for nobody. <laughs> right. <laughs> Including you, I do it for nobody. Because that never happened. You know, it's a funny thing. We all know, like, even the people who like the president know he makes things up, but still, it's weird to hear him tell a lie that specifically involves you. All of a sudden, you're like, wait, no, he's lying. That's not... <laughs> for the record, not only was I not on the sidewalk waiting for him, opening the door to his car, I didn't even go to his dressing room to say hello before the show. I never do. In 15 years, I probably... I don't know, I've done it seven times. I like to greet the guests on stage. I feel dumb saying hello to them and then saying hello again 10 minutes later. But I digress. None of that actually happened, but I'm sure he'll clear it all up here. But he's waiting for me. Two or three times I did a show before this all. Now I wouldn't do a show. A guy's terrible. But I do a show, <laughs> and he's standing out on Hollywood whatever, Boulevard, <laughs> and he's standing there opening up the door, like going crazy. Oh, hello. I wasn't president. I was like a guy, right? A guy with potential. <laughs> a guy with potential to ruin everything that is good in the world. It's just so... Yeah, it's a nice point. Yeah. When you know it wasn't true yeah. and he just says something like that. It's not exactly particularly harmful. It's no, just that no, braggadociousness. No. It's, it's, it's interesting. interesting hearing that, that back, actually, because I watched it before. Uh, and just they've both got their crowds who are behind them cheering uh, at anything. But they even the, Trump's fans even laughed when he said, outside on Hollywood, whatever. Like, yeah. Boulevard. Yeah. I can't be bothered saying Boulevard, because no, 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 who no. cares? And they just thought, yeah, that's great, yeah! <laughs> he couldn't say Boulevard. He's a show. He is he? a show. That's the problem. We're addicted to him, too, let's be honest. Yeah, but it's better to, be, um, to have him doing that than... Declaring war on someone. He's or... too busy to. He's too busy doing that shit to declare war. You're right. I know. I want to encourage yeah, that. That's right. I really want to encourage the sort of behaviour. The sort of heightened state of. I, I'd be in a parade yeah. for him if it keeps him away from serious business. Yeah. Yeah. Just to keep him entertained. Yep. You're great. Carry on. Look away. <laughs> Step away from the desk. Look out to the parade. Okay. Um, now, we've got time for uh, Piers Morgan. Oh, yeah, this is another great piece of uh, The Trump protest. From the week, the Trump protest. There was a woman there who was uh, a very outspoken um, anti-Trump activist. She's she's very eloquent and very good talker. Um, but as you'll see here, he, I mean, he, he goes full Fox News here, just talks over her and doesn't let her get a word in and just mm. tries to bully her. But she outsmarts him in a, in a really unexpected way. So where will you be marching this in the next two days? 
I'll be marching in Westminster tomorrow alongside thousands of other people who found the policy of border separations mm -hmm. unconscionable. Yep. You think that the sight of our elected prime minister holding Donald Trump's hand is an utter embarrassment. Did you find Obama deporting three million people unconscionable? You yes. Spit up many families. Yes, I did, where and was, that's why. And that's why. Where I also was your protest and march why, against that and, when he came to the country? And that's country? why I also. Because you feel so strongly about that. And that's why I also protest. Where was your protest march against Obama? If you found that well, unconscionable too, where was the march? You do not have to go out and march. Standards. Everything in order to make a point about one thing. No, if you find them both uncomfortable no, and it's the same issue, you have Piers, to mark Piers, twice, don't Piers, you? I would actually encourage you to maybe check out some of the other work that I've done where I've been intense. Tell you what I do, Ash. I go and check out some basic facts about your hero Obama. He's and not my hero. I'm how a heroic he comes idiot. <laughs> you didn't plan any protests against him, did you? Ash? Zero protests against Jesus. Obama. Jesus. You have every right to protest. Thanks Every right to protest. Just, just get it in perspective. There were none against Obama. There were none against Vladimir Putin. Why didn't you go out and march against Obama then if you're so keen manning your guests against to make up for your own incompetence as a journalist? Sorry, sorry. You didn't hold Trump adequately to account when you interviewed yes, him. I did. You didn't think that climate change was enough to bring up. I held Trump very well to account on a number of issues. It's embarrassing. And instead what you've done, instead what you've done is strawman your guests, put words in my mouth, and you've deflected from the actual argument at hand. What I try and do is be fair about Trump. What you do no is else. be relentlessly anti-Trump and relentlessly pro-somebody like Obama. I'm not pro-Obama. I've been a critic of Obama. I'm a critic of the Democratic Party because I'm literally a communist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a communist. I'm literally a communist. Right. You idiot. Yeah. Boy, that was. Uh, yeah. it, it actually shows you that people like uh, Mark Richardson on uh, the AIM show got a long way to go. Yeah, they, they need can. to up their game, don't they? They do. Because that, that's he's, he's on the breakfast TV in in the, in the UK, and yep. that's his role to be that guy. But boy, she was. Uh, people do. Grace under fire. This is absolutely true. Like people protest because they hate Trump. Oh, not not as, but they can't. It's really hard. Um, you. You can point to a couple of policies, but you really can't point to many. You just hate the guy. That's right. You just It's the vibe of the thing, Your Honour. Yeah, it, yeah, they find him an odious creature. That's what they're protesting. Um, he so certainly sometimes, he's, you know, it, it, oh, he's got a point there, yeah. but, but he just, it just an awful yeah. way of trying to express it. Yeah. And he had one argument. He wasn't listening to her and just kept hammering that argument over the top. All right. He's odious, Piers Morgan. You've got to admit that. Uh Odious. We have our New Zealand accent of the week. Paul, thank you very much. And see you in a couple of weeks. Anything more you wanted to add? No. It is Martin Phillip. No. Martin Phillips. Two L's, two P's. Martin Phillips of Dunedin. The music of Flying Nun may not be to everyone's taste, but it is certainly... Uh, had repercussions worldwide. Oh, dear Martin. Hey, um, we've got a copy of World Cup Baby to give away. It's the book by Ewan McCabe, our World Cup correspondent. It's a cracking read. Would you like to win one or at least have a go at winning one? Give us a call now. We've got going to have about three or four minutes after this commercial break to have a quick game of truth or cup sequences. Just answer the various statements, true or false. Call this number now, 0800 844 747. 0800 844 747. May have to spill over into the next hour. We'll just see how we go. We'll play it by the set of our thing. 
Here we go. Uh, truth or consequences. We've got four minutes. It's amazing what one can fill, uh, fit in in four minutes. We'll fit in Simon Kennedy. Hello, Simon. G'day, mate. How are you? I'm very well. Answer the various statements, true or false. Um, oh, it's probably going to just be the best of three. Viv Richards, the cricketer, played World Cup qualifiers for Jamaica in football. World Cup qualifiers for Jamaica in football. In football. False. Correct. Uh, he's not from Jamaica. He's from Antigua, St. John's, and he did play World Cup qualifiers for Antigua. The only man to do World Cup stuff in football and cricket. I think they went on to do a little bit better in cricket. There is a woman who did a similar thing. Uh, Elise Perry appeared for both the Women's World Cricket and World Football Cups. That's one to you. I don't even know how you win. Um, okay, here we go. Uh, uh, Charlie Chaplin was the goalkeeping trainer for the United States World Cup football team in 1950. Charlie Chaplin. World Cup trainer for goalkeepers at the U for the USA World Cup team, 1915. False. Yeah, correct. I thought that might pass, Master. That's two to you. Um, we'll keep going. You can basically say you've got the book by now, but we'll just keep going because it's fun. England lost. I mean, England lost the World Cup in 1966. 1966. How many years has it been since their last drink? 28 years. They lost the World Cup in 1966. I'm going to go with false, but I think I might be wrong. False. Yeah. You're wrong. Yeah. yeah. Um, they did lose the cup in 1966. They also won it. They won the World Cup in the final against Germany in that famous thing with um, Jeff Hurst. They think it's all over. It is now. But the cup itself, the gold thing, they lost it. It was stolen. They just it had no one knew where it was. They said, Jeff, did you put it over there uh, by the piano? Uh, no, I didn't. Have you seen it, Bobby? No. Nobody could find it. And they found a little letter saying, we would like £15,000, please, and you can have your World Cup back. But it was found after some investigation um, by a dog by the name of Pickles. And then... It's <laughs> a great name for a dog. Isn't it? And then Brazil took that cup home forever in 1970 because they'd won it three times. And it was stolen... And has never been seen again. I, be I also believe that during the Second World War, the yeah. Football World Cup was hidden underneath a Jewish man's bed. Really? It depends where, but I'm thinking in some places it might not have been the safest place. Mm. Good heavens. That's amazing.